Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and a glorious Lord's Day to each of you. And welcome to First Day. What a joy to be in the house of the Lord. And I commend you for your faithfulness this summer. We are on the home stretch now for this summer, and to God be the glory, we have had a summer hump and not a summer slump. We sure had a wonderful Sunday last week with our Vacation Bible School Children's Cantata and Pastor Mike's powerful message. I mentioned last week that I wanted to show you what a faithful man Pastor Mike was, and so we had a picture. And so now I'm going to show you that picture that was available last week. And so here we are, the original dynamic duo. There they are right there. So, <laughs> yes, that's Pastor Mike and me. And uh, 50 years almost and still preaching it. Man, I'm telling you what, we're going after it. Please note the very stylish uh, watch fob in the vest there. But, and as a bonus and an appropriate lead-in to a message on change, here is Hippie Mike and Linda on their wedding day, a few months after receiving. There they are. That's just a couple of months after they received Jesus Christ. A couple of years later, we were ministering together. Well, I guess the old saying... Hair today, gone tomorrow, would be appropriate for both of us. <laughs> All right. Well, this morning, the commands of Christ. Five commandments for growing Christians. The Bible is very clear. Christians should be growing. We should be changing. We should be transformed in our Christian life. Founding Father Benjamin Franklin said, When you're finished changing, you're finished. One insightful wiseacre said, Most people die at 25. We just don't bury them until they're 70. Friend, if you are alive, God has a special plan for your life, for your marriage, for your family. I don't care how young or how old you are, God has a plan your life. You are not dead, so don't act like it. I say again, God wants us to be growing, to be changing, to be transforming in our Christian life. Now, the first step to changing, to growing, is to change our thinking. An old man and his dog were sitting on the porch. It was hot outside, and the old man sipping on his lemonade and the dog was sitting next to him whimpering in pain. The neighbor across the street hears the dog whimpering for several minutes. His curiosity gets the best of him, so he approaches the man and he said, do you know why your dog is whimpering? 
The old man, matter of factly, said, he's sitting on a nail. Perplexed, the neighbor said, why doesn't he just get up and move to another spot on the porch? The man just takes another sip of his lemonade and smiles, thinks about his response and says, I guess it doesn't hurt bad enough. You know, as a pastor and as a human being, I long to see people have their best life. I can't tell you the the sensation that has been enveloping me over the last several years. No matter where I am in a crowd, I just walk through it thinking, are you saved? Do you know Christ? I wish you would come to the home church. I just know what it would do for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren. Come on, get in. Quit messing around out here. I long for people to have their best life, to be happy. But I've lived long enough to know that having a happy life is not automatic. You have to initiate any positive change. It is not going to come magically. Someone is not going to just come along and save you. You can get married. You can get whatever. I'm telling you, nobody is going to save you. Jesus will save you, and he'll help you. But I tell you, you have to make the decision, put in the work, and the devotion to actually change in your life. What does it take for people to change? It's been said, you have to hurt enough that they have to. You have to see enough that you're inspired to. You have to learn enough that you want to or receive enough that you're able to. And so that's what we're here to do today, to give you that motivation and that education to be able to change. And I believe it is time, past time, for some to wake up and to go for it without figuring out one more excuse why you can't change, why you can't grow, why you can't be that happy person that God wants you to be. The late judge and motivational speaker Zig Ziglar used to love to tell the story of the fellow who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. The neighbor explained that he could not let him use the mower because all the flights had been canceled from New York to Los Angeles. The borrower asked him, What do canceled flights from New York to Los Angeles have to do with me borrowing a lawnmower? He said, well, it doesn't have anything to do with it. But if I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, one excuse is as good as the other. And that's, it seems like, what happens today. So many people have so many excuses why they don't have the marriage, the family, the life that they want to have. And today is no excuse Sunday. It is time to grow in Christ. It is time to be transformed as newborn babes, to desire that milk of the Word. And so would you bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, I thank God for these people. I'm happy for them. Glad they're here. I know, Lord, for some of them it took a big thing to just get here. Some of these dear folks, Lord, they just would love to be here. I know there are people who watch online, Lord, that love to be here. But I just pray, God, that you would just meet with all of us today. Change us. Lord, grow us. May this be a day of day for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think just about everybody's favorite disciple in Scripture is Peter. The reason he's so wonderful to us is because he's so relatable. He's so human. 
And so let's go to his first letter, the first epistle, first Peter, if you would. And we're going to be beginning in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I believe we would all benefit from the public reading of God's Word. And so I'm going to ask you to read along with me and do so resoundingly. All right, let's say these together from the King James Version of the Bible. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Ready, begin. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that she may grow thereby. Now this passage has tremendous implications for us as American Christians, especially at this particular moment in history. Never has there been a greater need for a strong and a vibrant faith. This world is so dark. We need people that will have the light of Christ. Peter's words are rich with insight and meaning. As you would follow along in the next few verses in chapter 2, you would find that it is a mix of all kinds of metaphors that make for some interesting meditation when you get a chance. Here he talks about, in verse 1, the putting off of clothes. Verse 2, the longing for milk and the tasting of the goodness of the Lord. He goes on to talk about godly stones and spiritual houses. And so Peter is trying to get the message across. Come on, folks, get with it. If you have any interest in having a better life, a better marriage, and a thriving faith, and let me just uh, get us all on the same page. How many want God's best in your life, your marriage, your family, your career, your health? Would you just lift your hand? You want that? All right, good. I think I saw just about everybody's hand raised. Good. So we're all on the same page. So you're going to listen, aren't you? Because He, Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter is speaking to you and He's speaking to me. And if you have been struggling to get to the next level, you may be surprised to hear that there are five things that might be in the way. And you'll see these quite clearly in verse number one. And God says if you don't get rid of them, you really can't grow. And so let's begin with verse 1. Notice how he begins, wherefore. Well, it's also the same word, therefore. Remember, whenever you see the word wherefore or therefore, always pause and ask the question, what is it therefore? Or what is it wherefore? Clearly, we must go to the previous chapter because that's a transitional word. So... The chapter divisions aren't put there by the Holy Spirit, but the translators gave us some wise thoughts for sure. Chapter 1 talks all about the new birth, being saved, becoming a Christian. Chapter 1 is about getting your sins washed. Chapter 2 is about getting your sins conquered. In fact, it even begins with a sin list. Now, a sin list, that's something that is definitely politically incorrect to even infer in the modern church that we might have sin. But the fact of the matter is, until we acknowledge that, we are not going to grow in the Christian life. And so then, if you are born again, thank God, you do have the ability to conquer any sin. Let me just say that again. If you are born again, you do have 
have the ability to conquer any sin. And that's why I always have a little challenge when people say, I am an alcoholic or I am a drug addict. My friend, if you are saved, you are not an alcoholic. You have God's power. You have the Holy Ghost in you. Now, I'm all for admitting we've sinned. That's good. But the fact of the matter is, once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the power to defeat the devil, the world, and the flesh. And that's what it says in Romans 8 and verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, of course you're going to die. But if through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, not your own spirit. Notice the capital S there. You do mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify is a big old uh, King James word, but it just means kill it. Kill it dead. Then it says you will live. You'll have a life that you just never thought possible. So the energy-filled life comes as you kill the deeds of the flesh. How do you do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins by saying, wherefore? Based on the fact in chapter 1 you got born again, now you have the Spirit's power, so you have the ability to lay aside these sins. And that's what he says you need to do next. Lay them aside. Five different things that we need to lay aside. Lay them aside like they're old clothes. And we, By the way, we do have a nursery out there. And also have a video. Thank you so much. Lay aside. Just throw them off like you would dirty, old, smelly clothes. Sin no longer is our master. But God says it must be mastered. Sin has no reign in a Christian's life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Don't you love that powerful verse? I mean, no ifs, ands, buts about it. When you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then sin is no longer your master. And God said, therefore, you should just lay aside these particular sins. Lay aside. The word picture in the Greek is literally taking clothes off. Similar as it says in the other epistle where it says putting something on and putting something off. In early Christian baptism, when people came to be baptized by immersion, it was customary after they were baptized in their own clothes, they would come out of the water and then they would be given a new set of clothing and they would toss the old clothing away as a symbol that they are now walking in a new life. By the way, just a side note. That is why the sprinkling of a so-called little bit of holy water on your forehead is an insufficient picture for baptism. Only immersion indicates all in. All in. I'm not just a little bit in with God. I am all in with God. You know, if you go on a ship, some folks have probably been on a cruise ship here. And the captain will say, all on board. Well, you don't stand on the dock and then put your hand on the ship. You're all in. And God wants us all in. That's why baptism by immersion is an all-in statement. God said, are you all in or are you not? If you're all in, then throw away the old clothes and walk in the new life. And he said, you need to 
Take off the old clothing. You need to update your wardrobe. Now, I kept hearing that I needed to start wearing skinny jeans. I have all these kids and grandkids. If I wanted to be more updated. So I was just about ready to break down. Of course, with a little extra weight, all of my jeans are skinny jeans. But anyway, um, I just about broke down and bought some. And then I found out they're already out of style. So thank God for that. But anyway. Now, there are five toxic attitudes that God said, these go out of style. Get rid of them. Just get them out of your closet. Because you want to grow. Very clearly, God says, you can't go to verse 2 until you get verse 1 taken care of. Do you want to grow? Verse 2, do you want to change? Do you want to have this wonderful growing life? Great. Do you want to have your best marriage, your best life, your best family? Good. All right. Here's some things you've got to take care of. Now, it's a funny thing I've noticed in the evangelical church. There are some false concepts about growing in grace that I want to share with you. Let me give you three of them this morning for your thought. First of all is fatalism. Fatalism. These are people who say, I can't change. I just can't change. I'm, I am who I am. I'm Essentially, it just becomes weakness. Now, just to show how lame excuse that is, let's just give a, an example from the physical life. Let's say, for example, that you may have struggle with eating right and exercising regularly. I think many of us have that challenge. Well, some people say, well, that's just who I am. I don't um, have any choice in the matter. But it doesn't have to be that way. And we're not talking about our physical height or our sex or our age, those unchangeables. We're talking about something we do have power over. Now, yes, it doesn't mean that we're all going to become fitness influencers, but with baby steps, we can make some great progress. And so the first step to having a good life, then, is to change our thinking about sin. It's been said change is inevitable, but growth, that's optional. And so first of all, fatalism is the first false concept. The second one is egotism. I've heard people say, I don't need to change. Because God does all the changing for me. Or I am just okay like I am. They understood it when we said, come as you are to church. But somehow they didn't get the second half of that message. And that is, we are to change. They're the come as you are, stay as you are crowd. That's not God's will, friends. That amounts to nothing more than smugness. There is egotism. There is fatalism. And then there is illusionism. These are the people who have to say, I don't have to try. And it's nothing more than mindlessness. Through some spiritual phenomena, these people think that they're going to wake up someday and they're going to be Bible man, Bible woman. No. People who change actually want to change and they don't wait to change. They take proactive steps towards growing in the Lord. Someone said, we can make excuses, or you can make changes, but you can't do both. And so now, let's look at the five vices, the five habits, the five hang-ups, if you were, that God says, now look, you just need to set these aside. 
Don't tell me you can't. You can't. By God's grace, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Sin doesn't have any dominion over you. So lay these aside and then watch your life grow. I mean, some folks have been saved for years, decades, and they seem to be stilted. I believe no matter how old we are, we need to be growing in Christ. There is no room for these soiled garments in our closet. And so let's look at these. By the way, just as a note, these are all relational sins. And if you're going to run with God, you've got to get your A game. And this is our A game, and that is getting rid of of these sins. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the truth that is set before us, this race. And so we're laying aside these cumbersome garments, and we are putting on new garments for the Lord. And so we begin with number one, five commandments for growing Christians. Rid yourself of spitefulness. Rid yourself of spitefulness. Maliciousness, meanness, has no place in the Christian's life. Look what it says, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Wherefore, lay aside, take off that. Just That's a dirty piece of clothing. Take it off and don't put it back on. Wherefore, laying aside all malice. Malice is having vicious intention. Malice is a desire to do harm. Malice is smoldering resentment. It is secretly hoping for revenge, for harm, or tragedy even would overtake another person. The great apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, He said, it's even possible to live that way. Look what he says, Titus 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. Notice what it says, living in malice. Living in malice. Not just day after day, but month after month, year after year, in some cases, decade after decade. People hating each other, just malice. My friends, this can become deadly, not only to us, but to others. Audrey Hale, the transgender school shooter who killed six people at Nashville Christian School in March, was a former student. Police Chiefs say that she left a manifesto, and it was filled with vicious resentment and malice. Malice is a killer. Brilliant scientist, George Washington Carver, one of my heroes, my mother read to me his story when I was a child, was not only an excellent agricultural scientist, he famously discovered 105 ways to use peanuts, including mayonnaise and other things. Recently, my wife bought some yogurt, and she said, look at the label. And so I looked at it. It was made from cashews. I thought, what in the world? I never heard of such a thing. Well, George Washington Carver had already thought of it 100 years ago. George Washington Carver was not only a 
great scientist. He was also a godly peacemaker. He believed that God was the author of science. In fact, he testified that on many occasions that it was because of his faith in Jesus that he could be a scientist like he was. Let me read just a little excerpt, or maybe one little paragraph of his salvation testimony. I think it plays to what we're saying about malice in just a moment. Here's his own testimony. He said, I was just a mere boy when converted, hardly 10 years old. There isn't really much of a story to it. I just asked God to come into my heart one afternoon when I was alone in the loft of our big barn. And I was shelling corn to carry to the mill to be ground into the to meal. He said, a dear little white boy, one of our neighbors about my age, came by on Saturday morning and talking and playing, told me about prayer. I asked him what prayer was. He said, I don't remember what he said. I only remember that as soon as he left, I climbed up into the loft, knelt down by the barrel of corn, and I prayed. I felt so good that I just prayed several times before I quit. He was a man of God. He was a reputable scientist. And yet, he was refused admission to university simply because the color of his skin. Years later, when someone asked him the name of that university that did that, and if he was bitter, he simply replied, never mind. It doesn't matter now. He harbored no malice. And my friend, it doesn't make any difference who we are. We should say no to malice. Just put it off and move on. Number one, rid yourself of spitefulness. Number two, if you want to grow, you've got to rid yourself of deceitfulness. Living without schemes. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile. Guile is a twisted mind. It just simply cannot act in a straightforward way. Guile stoops to devious and underhanded practices to get his or her own way. They never do anything except with some ulterior motive. The Greek word is dolos. It comes from a word which means to bait something or to trap something. In the ancient world, you may remember, legend has it that when the Greeks were besieging Troy, they just simply did everything they could but could not gain entry. So then they sent the Trojans a present of a great wooden horse, as if it were some token of goodwill. The Trojans opened their gates and took it in, but the horse was filled with Greeks who in the night broke out and devastated the city of Troy. That's exactly what dolos is, that Greek word. It is crafty, cunning, deceitful, clever, clever treachery. Motives that are never innocent. But we must be careful about this kind of attitude because it can really come back to bite you. I read this week about a man in San Antonio, Texas, a fraud, who was caught. But he was caught because I guess he just got a little too pleased with himself. He couldn't resist. He called a local talk show, radio there. The subject was, what is your biggest lie? And so he called, under an assumed name, of course, and he described how he had built the insurance company and had this stolen truck scheme. Unfortunately, he provided just a little too much detail. 
And the police matched his story with their records and arrested him. Now, friend, we must be careful about what we do in life because our intentions will come out. They'll come out whether we're there to help somebody or to hurt somebody. Are we there to be a blessing or a burden? Benjamin Franklin said this. He said each morning he would ask himself this question. What good will I do today for somebody? Every morning he would wake up and say, what good? Not what nasty thing, what guile thing. No, what good can I do for somebody today? And then he said, when I go to bed at night, I would ask myself, what did I do for somebody today that was good? My friend, that kind of an attitude rids ourselves of spitefulness and deceitfulness. There's a third thing that God says you've got to get rid of if you're going to grow, and that is two-facedness. A false virtue for gain is what that is. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies. Now, let me just say a word about hypocrisy. Because I've heard so many people misunderstand what it really is. So let me tell you what it's not. I've heard so many people say, well, I don't go to church. In fact, just this last week or the week before, I just don't go to church because of all the hypocrites in church. Well, admittedly, we all should be striving towards holiness and towards perfection. But nobody ever finds 100% perfection. Only Jesus can do that. And I will say that most Christians I know are very keenly aware of their own shortcomings. But you know, that doesn't mean that as Christians we shouldn't try to live right. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep preaching about truth and telling folks about the Bible. You know, parents get impatient, but they still have to discipline their kids for their impatience. You can't say, well, I'm an impatient person, so I don't have anything to say. But when it comes to our personal salvation, really what other people do with their life should have no bearing on what you're going to do with your life. I mean, I saw some counterfeit dollars once, but I didn't go to the window and throw out all of my good dollars because I saw some counterfeit dollars. That'd be stupid. Some people reject the Christian faith because of counterfeits. It seems crazy. But just because some people don't measure up to Christ doesn't mean that Jesus isn't good. It doesn't mean the Bible isn't true. It doesn't mean that God isn't who He says He is. It just means that people don't always do what they should do. And so, just a reminder, when people are talking about hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy actually has a very unique Greek beginning. It means being an answerer. But not just being an answerer, but being an answerer on a stage. It actually means wearing a mask and pretending to be something else, acting a part. And so what God is saying here is He's saying, be careful. Make sure that you're not out there just acting. You're trying to get over on somebody so that you can get something from them. It was so bad in the Apostle Peter's day, and it frankly is the same today, with fake religion, there were people back then, as today, religious people who would wear some kind of a beanie or a bonnet or a beret or a bandana and then say, from that point on, everything I do is good. My friend, just because you wear some kind of a religious garb doesn't mean that then everything we do is good. How crazy. There are some that it's gotten so nuts 
As long as they wear the right clothing, they can strap a bomb to themselves, blow themselves up and dozens of people. But the good thing was they were wearing religious garb. Peter is saying, how crazy, such hypocrisy. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 23. He said, burning lips and a wicked heart are like a pot. King James says potsherd, covered with silver dross. Here he is saying that a evil heart disguising itself with professions of friendship is like an old, weakened, fractured pot covered with the dross of silver, all shiny as if it were some great value, and yet nothing more than a crackpot. And God said, don't be a crackpot. Don't be somebody who's a hypocrite. We once, uh, an emphasis on once, bought a low-mileage used car that had a salvaged title. Never done that again. Don't recommend it. I later discovered it was a pot covered with silver. Those smiling, reassuring mechanics, those hypocrites, had swapped out engines with an older, non-conforming one, and we weren't able to get it smogged. I mean, they had somehow smogged it so we could buy it, and it was crazy. I question then this morning is this. How does my behavior on Sunday compare to my behavior on Monday, on Tuesday? Peter said, you can't grow until you get this settled. You can't be acting one way on Sunday and then another day on Monday. I remember when I first moved to the Stockton area, we would drive along the country roads, and I would see all these watermelon, mini watermelon plants growing on the side of the road. I was amazed. I thought, that is amazing. It's growing on the side of the road. And so I decided I would take some home and try them out. Well, come to find out, I found out later their name, but they're not watermelon folks. (laughs) They are gourds, and uh, they're called a coyote melon, but... Trust me, they taste terrible. Those little things are hypocritical watermelons, I will tell you right now. Don't eat them. I don't see them much anymore, but boy, when I first moved here, they were everywhere. Now we should, if we're going to grow, you have to rid yourself of spitefulness. You must get rid of deceitfulness. We have to get rid of two-facedness. And then we must get rid of resentment. How do you spend your life? Do you wake up just bitter and offended and just irritable and grouchy? That's a terrible way to live. God says envies. Lay aside envy. Now the thing about this word is it's not just wanting what someone has. It's actually resenting them for having it. Envy really begins with a desire not to just possess what they have, but specifically to possess what they have. It then merges into a discontent and a bitterness. That's why in Proverbs, Solomon said, chapter 14, verse 30, he said, it becomes, envy becomes rottenness to the bones. And I'm not a doctor. We have some in here. They could tell you, But I believe this verse can be taken literally. Bad attitudes affects your bones. And those who know anything about 
Medical science knows that our bones produce so much of our good health, like all these wonderful red cells and white cells. What God is saying here is, if you get envious, it will cause a systemic problem to your health, which then, of course, often leads to a problem with our emotions and our mind. I know when I don't feel good physically, it affects my mind. And it can even happen in the Lord's work. crazy thing is, people can get envious about other people in church or in other ministries. Envious is one of the sins that Jesus said was behind the crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, verse number 10. When they crucified Jesus, getting ready to, here's what he said. He knew what the deal was. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Can you imagine? Here he had spent all of his life doing right. He had spent all of his life helping people. He had spent all of his life just trying to be a blessing. And yet they were so envious at the people that were following him and were just listening to him. They were so envious they killed him. I'm telling you, folks, envy can lead to some terrible things. Now, let me give you this morning, share something that helps me. Whenever I'm tempted to envy, I look at a man with a nice big head of hair, you know, he's my age, and I look at him and I think, look at that beautiful head of hair. Here's what helps me. I just have a better looking head. No, that's not what I want to tell you. (laughs) When I ever... I'm tempted to envy somebody, and everybody is tempted. Here's what helps me. Maybe it'll help you. I remember the attribute of God's impartiality. You remember the verse, God is no respecter of persons. Here's what I take that to be. I take that to mean that if God blessed somebody else, it doesn't mean that He loves them any more than me. We... God loves everybody the same. He is impartial. He loves everybody the same. And so if they have been blessed by God with something, that's just, that's on God. How can I be mad at God? I mean, I know He didn't do that because He didn't like me. He just did it because it was a blessing to them. So whatever it is, I mean, it could be literally anything. But if God has blessed them with that, you ought to just say, praise the Lord. That is, we have such a good God that He has blessed them. If He hasn't blessed me, then with that, then He's blessed me with something else. Euripides said, Envy is the greatest of all diseases among mankind. It is not so much wanting things for just wanting things, as much as it is wanting to take things from others. <laughs> it's kind of like the lady who said, God, if you can't make me skinny... At least make my friends fat. That's kind of the idea behind envy. It's been defined as, I'm not supposed to say that word earlier, but it's been signed as, it's been defined as grief at someone else's good. It's so crazy how envy works. It can even work in a spiritual people's lives. They can kind of fall into it quite quickly. Nobody was any more better top-notch Christians than the disciples. They were young, to be sure, most of them in their 20s. But these guys were good men. And yet, at the end, they were all fighting who was the goat. 
Who was the greatest of all time? Luke 22, verse 24. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them would be accounted the greatest? Envy. There's an old fable. I read a sermon by D.L. Moody this week, and he told it, and I'll share it with you. There's a fable of an eagle who was so envious of another eagle that could fly better than he could. And one day he saw a sportsman with a bow and an arrow. And he said to that sportsman, he said, I wish you could bring down that eagle up there. The man said, well, I could if I had some feathers from my arrow. So the jealous eagle pulled one out of his wing. The arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach the rival bird because it was flying way too high. And so the first eagle pulled out another feather and then another until he had lost so many that he couldn't fly. The archer took advantage of the situation, turned around, and killed the helpless bird. When you are envious of others, you know the one you hurt most by your actions? You'll be yourself. And so there are five commandments. If you want to grow, you've got to change. And if you change, you've got to get rid of these five things. Spitefulness, deceitfulness, two-facedness, resentfulness, and finally, criticalness. Number five. A condemning, fault-finding, judging attitude. God says, stop it. Come on. Stop that. Don't do that anymore. You're a Christian. Don't talk like that. Don't think like that. Just get a different way of acting. The King James Version calls it evil speakings. It's just slander. Slander very naturally follows envy. Because we're very prone to run down people to whom we are jealous of. It actually is translated in the Greek by a word to speak down. You know, sometimes people say someone is tearing you down, and that's actually a very appropriate word that happens. People tear others down to defame them. It includes gossip. It includes passing along unnecessary. There are necessary but unnecessary bad reproach. It talks about cheap shots. James clarified for us what really happens and why we can't change if we're an evil speaker. Listen to this. You're going to want to listen to this one. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. You know why? Because if you speak evil of your brother, you judge your brother. And that means you speak evil of the law. No wonder we can't grow in the Lord when we're speaking evil of God's Word. But that's what God said. When we speak evil of a brother, He said we're actually speaking evil of the law. We are condemning God's Bible. Speaking evil of others means I will speak evil of God's Word. If I don't have any more respect for God's Word and I'll just lay into somebody and just tear them down, God said, you have a problem with me. Nothing is so destructive to the cause of Christ and in our own lives as tearing others down. But as our lives transform from criticalness to not just how can I get through another day, but how can I make somebody's day? You know, if I would just wake up in the morning and put the golden rule in my mind, how can I speak good to someone? You see someone that does a little something extra? Maybe something doesn't quite fit your mind, and 
I'm not saying you can't speak up for yourself, but there are times when we need to. But most of the time, if we could just bless somebody, hey, no problem. Be patient. Be loving. Be kind. Just everything we do, let's not speak down to someone. Let's speak to them and up to them. Slander is the wrong brained attempt to make ourselves look cleaner by slinging mud at everybody else. Or it might even have a religious little phrase to it. I don't want to mention this, but um, I would only want you to pray, but did you hear about so-and-so? When we put others in a worse light, we imagine that somehow our own darkness is less, but it's not. The answer is clear. God said, get rid of it. I want to read to you a paraphrase from the message. You know, there are Bible versions that are versions, and there are others that are paraphrases. One of the most uh, free-flowing paraphrases, not always accurate, but good sometimes, is the message. I don't recommend you using it uh, as your source of the Word of God, but it's a good commentary at times. Here's what 1 Peter 2.1 says in the message. And it, I believe, is a good way to end the message. The paraphrase says this, So, clean house. So, based on what's in chapter 1, clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice, pretense, envy, and hurtful talk. Years ago, I was trying to do a project in the garage. But it was just too much. I had no room. I had collected too many odds and ends. I tried shuffling it from one side to the other. Finally, I said, that's it. I can't do anything in this garage. So I took everything out of the garage. I cleaned it. I painted it. I tossed everything out of it. And then at the end of that exhausting process, which the children will tell you incorrectly, that I did like about every other month, but I can tell you, that it was a beautiful, usable place. And now I was able to actually build something and do some work there. When you clean out the old stuff, you can then accomplish and build what needs to be done. Today, today is the day to clean out your garage. Today is the day to get rid of all your junk. Today is the day. Starting today, it's a clean slate. Let's get rid of these five things. I'm done. I'm done. And I am ready from this day forward to grow like a babe in Christ, fresh and new. And I want my marriage and my life and my everything about what I'm doing. I want to be a blessing to this world. God says then, get rid of these five things. And then watch your life just transform. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.